0: Do <laughs> I'm Debbie Elias, film critic, creator, and host of Behind the Lens, where we go. Behind the Lens and below the line, with the movers and shakers, the film and TV makers, the producers, the directors, the writers, the actors, the cinematographers, the production designers, costume designers, composers, uh, film editors, sound editors, sound mixers, authors you name it, we talk to them. And for those of you tuning in right now, you'll notice that I'm not in studio today. Well, I'm I'm saving 4 gallons of gas today. To be honest, people, I'm saving 4 gallons of gas, which is what my travel every Monday uh, is what I consume. Uh, but also because I don't have a live call-in guest today. Uh, so since you're going to hear just pre-recorded interview today. Um uh, I stayed home. So, forgive me, uh, but I will be back in studio on July 11th. Next week is July 4th, so we won't have a live show. We won't have a show at all because Pam would like a day off. And you got to take those days off from the big boss when you can get them. So, but today's show is a great show. Thanks to my exclusive interview... Or more like conversation with director and producer Shane Stanley. But first, how about these box office numbers this week? Tom Cruise, his first billion-dollar movie. That's right, Top Gun Maverick has crossed the billion-dollar mark globally. And I have to tell you, it is well-deserved. This is the film you want for the summer. This is the film that will just lift you and you're going to soar with the film. If you haven't seen it, get to a theater and see it. If you have, go see it again. Because it's a hell of a good time. Uh, I personally have now seen it twice. uh, And paid money both times. So, and I loved it more the second time. I have to tell you, I loved it more the second time. So, this is a big congrats for for Tom Cruise in his first billion dollar global film. This is phenomenal. And it also speaks to the fact that the movies are back. They are here. They're in theaters. And you, the moviegoers, love it. You're going to the theater. Hopefully, this is going to continue through the summer. We've got... Marvel's Thor, Love and Thunder, coming up on July 8th. Hopefully we'll see some bombastic numbers from that film as well. We need theaters, people. We all need to go to the theaters. There's nothing better than sitting in a theater and sharing that common experience with everybody laughing, everybody cheering, or everybody crying. Or people not sitting through the credits and getting up and walking out at the end. Um, but it's that shared human connection without having to talk to anybody. Um, it's that vibe that fills the theater that everybody can feel. So I am just thrilled, thrilled to, that we have our first uh, the billion dollar global With with Top Gun Maverick, Um, but there are tons of other films that are out there right now, and it's nice to see a lot of the little indie gems getting some theater time. Uh, And we're going to be talking about an indie gem here today. It is Double Threat. It is, it's a genre blend. It's it's action. It's a thriller. And it has some really great inherent situational comedy within it. And it is directed and produced by Shane Stanley. Shane is also one of the editors. It is written by C.J. Wally, who has collaborated with Shane on a few things. Shane is a fascinating director. He started back in the 80s under the tutelage of his father, Lee Stanley. Uh, started with what is known as the Double Passage series, uh, for which I believe Lee won an Emmy Award uh, on that one. But Shane has learned all the various disciplines. He's edited on a number of projects for years. He's directed, he's written, and he has produced, thus learning, uh, under his dad's tutelage, every element that comes into the making of a film. He is very boots on the ground as a producer and as such that makes him a better director. And with Double Threat, one of the interesting things is that this was shot very early on as soon as filming could come could rear back up during lockdown. This was one of the early films to re- to shoot. But because of COVID and the lockdown, Shane encountered some really big challenges, not the least of which is losing seven or so of his locations days before filming was to start. And luckily for him, he had a, a really incredible cinematographer with him, uh, Joe Leogan, because together with Joe, they really shot from the hip in rejiggering a lot of this film um, in order to make do with the locations they had, change them up so they look different so that you're not going to know which one, you know, what's missing. And believe me, in watching the film, you would never know that they lost locations. The film, it's, you know, it's a fun film. It's something we don't see often. Stars Matthew Lawrence, Kevin Joy, Don Olivieri, Mogolini, and Danielle C. Ryan. Danielle C. Ryan is an actor to watch. If you aren't familiar with her, see Double Threat, and you'll know why I tell you this. She did her own own stunts in this film, She is very um, accomplished in WWE styling, uh, styling, martial arts, knife throwing, archery, equestrian work, all of them she brings to play in this film and does her own stunts and does them so well. The whole premise of the film is Matthew Lawrence's character, Jimmy, has lost his brother, is going to scatter his ashes in the ocean. However, he's at, you know, a 7-Eleven, a gas station gas station stop, and uh, he becomes part of a, a hit on the cashier in the store, played by Danielle Ryan. Cashier's name is Natasha. And poor Jimmy tries to flee, but then he finds Natasha hiding in, in the backseat of his car. But... She isn't who she appears to be. She is a woman on the run from the mob. And she suffers from a split personality. Uh, Nat and Tasha. She convinces Jimmy to let her come along on this road trip. With her main goal being getting to the West Coast and getting on a boat and going to Hawaii. Unfortunately... uh, you know, she stole money from the mob. They want their money, so the son of the of the mobster, Tommy Lombardo, who Mogolini plays, Ellis, played by beautifully played by Kevin Joy, as with such great buffoonish uh, characteristics, it's just to die for fun. Um, he then joins up with his father's right hand hit woman. Ask played by Don Olivieri, and the chase across the country pursues. It is fast-paced, there is a ton of action, there are some implausible scenarios that are just fun, but you watch and you keep watching because you are having so much fun watching this film. And part of it is, and a lot of it is due to Joe uh, Leogan's cinematography. But then also in the editing process. The editing keeps the pacing very well in hand. You stay interested, nothing lags. It's just a lot of fun. And when Shane and I spoke, this was one of the most casual, fun-filled conversations I've ever had with a director, with talent. Um, We actually chatted for over an hour about anything and everything. Shane's love and appreciation for film is some of the greatest I have ever had the pleasure to witness. He truly loves film. He loves the craft of filmmaking. And he uses his head as a director, when he's thinking through how to execute something. And as you'll hear in our conversation, he goes deep, dives deep into his processes from cinematography to locations, to his casting process. And I have to tell you, he is so humble and he truly believes in collaboration And loves to pump up his cast, his crew. And you're going to hear so much of that in this conversation. And also about his upcoming project, which all the Dr. Quinn fans out there will will be anxious to to hear about. Following Double Threat, he's got another film that will be coming out, uh, hopefully later this year, called Night Train. And it stars Joe Lando, best known as Sully on Dr. Quinn. And according to Shane, this is a, something from Joe we have never seen before. And that's one, something that we see here in Double Thread. The depth of the character of Ask that Dawn Olivieri brings to play. And how she created this character. From shoes to hair to clothes. The Danielle's work and bringing in equestrianism, archery, knife throwing, all of her disciplines. You know, Shane has an ability to showcase and bring out talents in the actors that he has on his team. And he does so beautifully here. So now, without any further ado, I'll stop talking and let you take a listen to my exclusive conversation with producer, director, co-editor, Shane Stanley, talking about Double Threat.
1: Hi, Debbie, it's Shane
0: Stanley. Hi, Shane, how are you?
1: I'm good, how's my timing?
0: Your timing is impeccable. I really enjoyed... This film it moves it moves fast. It's not rocket science. It's entertainment. It is pure entertainment. You have fun watching it. And you have fun primarily watching Di- Danielle Ryan is amazing. Her stunt skills, her action skills are fabulous. And yeah. This is what buoys you through this whole film. you know you've got some great action pieces the minute you see her in the first fight sequence well first in the in the little mini mart uh but then with the first bigger fight sequence after they've been driving and and they're looking for water and then they get stopped and you know they get caught and you I start seeing w w e style. Wrestling and flips coming into play, along with some martial arts, and you've got gunplay. So you've got a lot of different action styles happening. It's shot well. Joe Leogan, your your DP. I mean, you keep the camera mid to mid to like a mid wide. You stay away from ECU's, and you really let us be a part of the action. Like we're we're standing there on the dirt. Just waiting yeah. so that we don't get hit by a knife or a gun or a kick. <laughs>
1: and and when, you're, when you're around Danielle, you got to watch for that all time.
0: And that just hooks you. And then we start meeting these other great characters. Ellis is the guy you want to hate because he's a bumbling moron. But, <laughs> and Don Olivieri as Ask. I love that character. Love that character.
1: I, I can't wait to tell you about how that materialized.
0: How? I know you shot this during 2020. You yes. and your writing partner, CJ Wally, you came up with this during 2020. Talk to me about what went into, number one, this story. Because it's fun. It's it's well, it's
1: just fun. Thank, thank you so much for that, Debbie. You know, it, it's interesting. I was on a road trip with my father about five years ago. He was directing a, a TV show uh, in Mexico starring Amy Johnson, who's another amazing martial artist. I've known Amy since the day she was born. And my dad and I decided to take a road trip down to Loretto, which is about 700 miles each way. We were on our way back. We stopped at this small little convenient gas mart in the middle of God knows where. And I walked into the store to pay for gas and get some sundries. And there was a woman working behind the counter that was, absolutely gorgeous she was um a gringo as they call them, completely out of place and it was interesting to watch the locals interact with her and it was very similar to what you see in the movie that was all pretty much what i watched guys saying, oh i need that from the top shelf could you go up and get it Mm -hmm. and And so what was really interesting is we were driving back and we had been on the road you know for about 400 miles and I, I looked at my dad and I said, Did you catch that at the liquor store? He said, Do you mean the girl? And I said, What was that? Like, who put her there? And he said, That just didn't feel right, did it? And I said, No. And I I stopped at the next stop, pulled out a note pen and just said, you know, girl working at liquor store in Mexico does not belong and I stored it like us creative types do for years. Fast forward twenty twenty. Um, We were in September of 2020. We had all been on lockdown for six months. And I I remember looking at the walls in my home office and I had had it. And I I Skyped with CJ, who's my writer and producing partner, and he's in London. And I said, dude, we have a choice. We can look back at 2020 and say it kicked our ass or we can make it our bitch. I refuse to go down without making a movie this year. This will be the first time in my life I didn't do anything. Mm -hmm. I can't do it. And I, I said, let's just, I said, look, we know we, we know people that want to get out of the basement and, and get on a set. We we know actors. We we have cameras. I don't care if we don't put any money together. Let's just go do something. He wrote the script in six days. Wow. I, I told him, I sent him an idea for the girl, uh, which is Daniel C. Ryan's part, uh, based on the girl I saw at the liquor store in Mexico, and sent him like 13 pages, and he said, I love the idea. I got this. And... Six
0: days later, we had a script. Wow. Wow. Well, yeah. it's one thing. You get a script, and then you've got to put your cast together. I think you did an excellent job putting this cast together. Because, number one, we're in the middle of COVID. Were the white sheets, were the protocols even out yet for and filming? I'll
1: tell you something. It, it was so bad. Most of the calls we made, the talent managers and actors said, yeah, let us... Give us a call when COVID's over. They're not coming out of the house. Um, Everybody was scared. Everybody... We shot it in November, December of 20. So they had... Well, allowed us back with a, with a uh, return to work agreement, but everything like Batman was shooting and got shut down. We were in the middle of that November, December when you remember the governor said, I'm stopping filming. And then at the end of the day, he recanted and said, OK, go ahead. Yeah, we we literally scrapped nine locations that day when he canned filming uh, a friend of ours, Mike Ryan uh, owns a film ranch in Santa Clarita. And I called Mike, and he said, get your bus up here. The gates are locked. Nobody can come in. I'll give you a key and just make your movie. And we just bolted up the mountain in, in case there was a shutdown and said, we're just doing it. And, and for, fortunately, we were not in any kind of violation by doing that. But that's what we did.
0: Well, you know, and this is, this is what I li- really like about this movie, because you lost so many locations that really cut down. But because you are on the road, this is, it's a road trip this is a this is a road trip so with minimal locations and with joe moving the camera and with the fast-paced action you can take the same dirt road location and trees and just turn things around what we did and multi-purpose and get different angles for you know Okay, it's 20 miles later on the road. You're still on a dirt road. There's still trees. We're just going to point the camera this way. So you can really multi-purpose things and still get new and interesting looks.
1: Do you know, and I can say this because you're one of the few reviewers that actually watch movies anymore. So do you know, do you know when they pull over for the first time that they overheat the car? Yeah. Okay, flip the camera around 12 feet to the left. That's the fight scene at the gorge.
0: Wow. And then and then you know where she did the horse stunt? Oh, that was amazing. Ten feet, ten feet behind the fight scene
1: and that water-heated scene. Um, I mean, I could go on for days uh, where she goes under the hood and fixes the car is where 12 other scenes happened. I mean, that's just what you have to do in filmmaking is you try to ex- expand as many locations as you can without having to do company moves. But we were forced to, to spend 12 days in one location, and that was never the plan
0: but you really really made the most of it Shane and this
1: bring it out we really rung it out I was really proud of our team we that we had to
0: but you know and this is something that you don't see much anymore not with low budget no budget micro budget not even with big budget go back to the early days of movie making That's when right. they were on location you're out in the dirt okay we'll turn the, the angle this way We'll turn the, okay, we'll scuff up the dirt, we'll throw some rocks down. But you have to economize and make the most of what you have. And that's something that I always loved, that I learned with my dad starting in live television in like 1948, 49. Wow, wow. Because everything is live. so how And you're doing local programming and kid shows and all. How do you change it up? you turn the camera you bring a couple little like some extra cars in or something like yeah. that but it's the mother of invention and this is something i'm that i don't see as much i don't see the creativity to use what's in front of you
1: that's that's all we have you know i i wrote a book a few years ago called what you don't learn in film school and it's basically how to take nothing and make something out of it and mm-hmm. making a film and I had to revert back to that in my mind and say that mentality has to apply more than ever in a film. And I'll, I'll tell you a secret, and I'm sure you can tell, is, is we've got Danielle who does all her own stunts, um, and Matthew Lawrence, credit to him as an ex-Baja buggy racer, he did all of his own driving and all the chases were all Matthew behind the wheel. Mm-hmm. What's really funny is because of the back-to-work agreement, we could not do traditional driving scenes with cameras in the car and director in the car sound guy in the car sure. and in the car because of the covid protocol having everybody in a tight space so when sag saw the script that it was a road trip they said you have to green screen everything or tray everything because we don't want anybody in the cars we can't be that close and what's so funny is this we we had to end up green screening so much of the driving because we weren't allowed in the car that's like the driving was the safe stuff and then we had to Making that, of all things, in a friend's parking lot. And literally, and I'm not a green screen filmmaker. I don't, I just like put something green in the background. Hopefully it'll key out. We were in a friend's parking lot for a day doing all that stuff. We couldn't be in the cars. That's why there's no French angles in any of the cars. And we literally just said, all right, screw it. We're going to just green screen all the driving, which is like 60% of the film. But then we're going to go do these real stunts that are dangerous and, and you know, risk life and live. Which, which I think kind of gives the film a quirky personality. Yeah. You know?
0: No, it, it really does, but you pulled it off and it works. So and I'm I'm really curious here. Let me start with your work with your DP, with Joe, and what the two of you were because of the very nature of this. Did you shot list because of the stunts? Did you storyboard? How what was this process like for the two of you to also come up with your visual tonal bandwidth? through your visual grammar, because you keep this. This is light in tone. Uh-huh. You know, a lot of action films get very, very emotionally heavy. This doesn't. It's light yeah. in tone, and it's visually light. You, Everything is in daylight, nice and bright and sunny, so that you always feel like there's a rainbow at the end of this.
1: <laughs> you know, honestly, I, I come from a, a music background and a rock and roll approach in uh-huh doing my films. Um, my favorite bands growing up into to this day are the Rolling Stones, Van Halen, Aerosmith, Led Zeppelin. What made those bands special was they plugged in and they played and they delivered. And what, what, when I make that comparison, I approach filmmaking the same way. I, I don't do shot lists. I don't storyboard. Um, Joelle and I work together without ever saying a word other than we're doing this next. Let me know when you're ready. Okay, Shane, I'm ready we we don't have heat. we know each other so well we've been working together for you know 12 13 years now mm-hmm. and when we did the fight scene with you know Doc Duhaime, who's you know most known for Ray Donovan and working with Indiana Jones right. and Spielberg and, and all the Gene Hackman and Mel Gibson films doc is known for incredibly violent fights and once he saw what Danny was capable of i said just just tear the roof off the place man do your thing i'll catch it and we shot that you're talking about the big fight scene at the gorge especially we shot that in about four hours um the stuntmen were were just unbelievable and and danny didn't have one double and we just went through it bang 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 and just it was like blew it it was because my first cut of that you know we intercut it with matthew and the gun mm-hmm. that was shot that was shot at like Three or four days before the fight scene was ever shot. It was like, we I, I actually did a cut of the fight without ever seeing Matthew. And it was like, oh, shoot, we have to incorporate <laughs> <laughs> Because And it wasn't anything against Matthew. It was Danielle and these two goons are just so unbelievable in this fight scene. I don't want to get away from it. And it was all really organic. Just bang, 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 bang. You know, we just hit the beat. And they were so well rehearsed and so good at what they did. It was like I didn't want it to end. And I do something really funny when I shoot action scenes is I don't watch the monitors because as a cutter, I like to get in the edit and discover what not, not go, wait, I knew there was this one shot. Where did it go? So when I cut our action scenes, it's all fresh to me. I refuse to watch the monitor. When they were doing it, I actually just kind of played with my, my wedding band. I was, you know, <laughs> eating a snack. I mean, I'm there on set, but I know I trust. People like Danny and Doc and the people he, he brings it, it they're going to deliver. And boy, was it nice to see in the edit what we had for footage.
0: That is really a smart, smart thing to do, Shane, because it does keep it fresh. And as you said, you're not hunting. Okay, I thought I saw that shot. Where is yeah. that shot? It has to be here. And yeah. you're so focused on what you can't find that you're missing what you do have.
1: Yes. Yeah. Oh, I've seen it, you know, being a cutter for 30 years, I can't say how many times I've worked with directors. And even early on in my career, where I was like, I know I had something, where was this? Where was it? And you finally realize what you're looking at is what you thought you had. And I don't use script supervisors or continuity people. I don't use that because what you may think is gold while you're shooting could be an absolute, you know, catastrophe, when you get in the bay. And then what you think is no good when you're shooting is something that could be a gem. So what I do is I I trust my actors. We pre-rehearse and go through everything and hit our stuff. And I trust them entirely. And I trust Joelle, my DP. And I, I just let it unfold. It goes back to the rock and roll mindset. It's just mm-hmm. plug in and play. And then that way, when I get in the NFA I discover so much. I'm like, God, I, I didn't think I'd like that take. Wow, what a gem. Or that take I thought was great just isn't let's go back to take three or two and and I, I just that's how I like to piece it together it's, it's just it's worked for me um and I just like to discover in the edit bay I don't like to go in with any expectations
0: well now that begs the question were you doing any rough edit at the end of a shooting day or at the end of a sequence or the end of a couple days or did you wait till You had everything in the can and then tackled editing
1: well, that's how I always do it. I always shoot the film, and I take about a week or two off, and then I go in fresh-minded as a cutter. Um, I actually worked with a, an editor, Frank Reynolds, on mm-hmm. this. Frank, you know, he cut Academy Award-nominated film, you know, in the bedroom with Emil Hirsch and Sissy Spacek. And Frank and I met while I was in post-production on this film. And what happened was, because, let's go back to COVID, I had two assistant editors on this film that were going to put all the dailies and transcode and sync everything for me. Sadly, they lost parents and grandparents during COVID. So I had a film that was shot that was not sunk and conformed to work with until three months after wrap. I actually had to find somebody who would do the film for me as an assistant editor, and it was in Cairo, Egypt. This wonderful guy named Youssef. He was stuck there because of the pandemic. We pipelined him 20 terabytes of media mm-hmm. two months after we wrapped. And in the course of six weeks, he sent me back my film, Sunk and Picture Daily. And I started cutting. And I cut the film for about four or five weeks. I was about 45 minutes into it. And Frank reached out to me. And it was so wonderful to connect with a like minded fellow that has an incredible resume. And I had, I had already starting prepping to do uh, Night Train, which is the film I just finished. I said, Frank, I'm gonna, I'm gonna want to work with you on this. So I sent him a hard drive, and then he he kind of picked up the baton and started working. And then we worked in tandem for the next four or five weeks to get it to where what you saw. Wow. Yeah.
0: When that process works for you, that's what you do.
1: That's what you do. I mean, I I have been cutting my own stuff for so long. I've worked with great editors over the years, like Dave and Nick Golding, these brothers that used to work with Zalman King, and they've been working the network train now for about 10 years. So it's been pretty much me, and I really enjoyed working with Bryce on this. I hope we get to work together again.
0: What you deliver certainly certainly speaks to the collaboration, because you've got great pacing. Thank you. It keeps moving, and it's fast-paced, and it's fluffy.
1: (laughs) I like that. I like that.
0: It's fast-paced and fluffy. As I said earlier, it's not rocket science. This is just fun. And it's fluff. You've got all this action, and it's fluff. And you keep it buoyant, and you keep it fluffy. So that it never gets too heavy. It never gets bogged down. I have to say, something that you do that's that I really love is the signature move that Danielle has when she dealing with her associative personality disorder, Uh shifting from Nat to Tasha, hair goes up in a ponytail. Uh So the minute you see that, you know there's a shift. But then there is a total emotional shift in Danielle. How she portrays Tasha, how she portrays Nat, beyond the hair. It's a great signature move to let the audience know. But if you're paying attention... You can see a total shift in her face in the performance. And I also think that Joe changes up the lighting a little bit.
1: You know, I, I would love to say that much thought went into it. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, was, it was, you know, because it, what, what we knew we were going to do, CJ has put in that hair goes up in a ponytail and quirky, bass lick punk rock chimes in. And if you notice, every time she goes in Natasha mode, really... You hear the total chaos song "Sold Me Out." The the opening day play comes in. That was that was all the thought that went into it. And you know when I talked with Danielle about the role, she she said, "How do you see that?" And I said, "I, it, I there will be no camera tricks. There'll be no morphing. There'll be no stars aligning. It's going to be a base quirk. You put your hair in a ponytail, and it's all on you." And I said, um, and "The way I see it is, Nat is the girl next door, apple pie." small town girl that you want to take home to mom. And Tasha is every Laura Croft loving guy's fantasy and just be yourself, find that. And I remember the first scene we shot, um, in the film with her, we went up to big bear first. And so day two was when they see the plane and they have to go be a plane to go find their truck. Um, we were just outside, if you watch that scene, that was the first thing we shot with her. We were just outside in uh, my, my cousin's driveway, of this, my cousin's log, log cabin in Big Bear that we stole for a day. Um, we didn't have the budget for lighting, it was just shoot.
0: <laughs> my God, and that is a gorgeous cabin, by the way.
1: I, it is, I'm sad he just sold it last month. <laughs>
0: Wait a minute, did he clear it with you? You could need it for future locations.
1: I, I had lunch with him two, two days ago, and he said, oh, I sold the cabin, by the way. <laughs> I said, gee, thanks.
0: That, that's unforgivable.
1: Yeah, but he said, I bought a boat. If you ever need a boat, I said, no, I'm not doing boats anymore. You can, uh, you can keep the boat. Keep the boat.
0: That's enough reason to disown him as a family member.
1: Hey. <laughs> I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about it.
0: <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> you do have some comedy in here, and it's inherent comedy, Shane. Mm. Much of it comes from Kevin Joy and Dawn as Ellis oh. and Ask.
1: What a, what a duo. Oh.
0: The two of them are. I would actually love to see a film of just with Ellis and Ask as, about that. as the lead. Hey, what about
1: a spinoff? Just, just yes. ask Ellis. Just, we call it Just Ask Ellis.
0: That would be great.
1: Yeah. Yeah, they were a hoot.
0: Their pacing of their delivery is so good. They really. Soar. When they are together, and especially Dawn, Yeah. the way that she delivers a line with emphatic arrogance, (laughs) you know, is perfect. Perfect.
1: Can I I tell you a a quick story about Dawn? Of course. Not to cut you off, but to, to support what you're saying. And, and I love. we have become dear friends, and I, I'm so proud of her on 1883, and she's got something in, that's going to be announced in the next couple of months that's massive. Um, and, and I couldn't I could, I couldn't wish good things on a, on a better person. She showed up, and again, the, you know, the, the script was originally written, her role was written at the mail. And we were having trouble getting people to come out of the house in COVID. There were actors that were like, hey, you can offer us $10 million. We ain't coming out of the house. Good luck. I got I got a call that Don Olivieri had called her manager and said, Find me a maverick who's given the middle finger to this thing and out shooting movies right now. I just I need to get out. And so we, we knew her manager and wonderful woman and got her the script. I said, Well look, the script's written for a man. They said, Oh Don won't care. Don wrote the script, said sign me up, I'll see you guys in two weeks. So we, CJ quickly watched Dawn's work and said, oh, my God, I'm going to rewrite this for her, which he did, I thought, very well. But I got to you a funny story. So if you noticed in the film, Dawn, you know, trudging through the mountains, the desert, and all this crazy, she's in high heels the whole she time. She
0: sure is. Looks like Louboutins.
1: Okay, so, okay, so here's the thing. So Dawn was, I, I had gotten her Doc Martens to wear for the for. 80% of the film, and then she was going to dress to the nines in the warehouse scene for the big kill. I'm It's Don's first day. I'm shooting something, and I get a call from, from production. They say, hey, Don, Don has a question for you on wardrobe. And I was like, okay. So I, I went over to her trailer. I said, hey, what's going on? She said, Mr. Stanley, you have these Doc Martens. albeit They're adorable. And you have these heels. Can I ask you a personal question? I said, sure. And she goes, why did you hire me? I said, because I love you. I said, you know, House of Lies is one of my favorite series. I fell in love with you. I want to work. And she goes, and I'm a a stone-cold bitch. I've made a career being a stone-cold bitch. Let me wear the high heels and you'll really get the bitch. And I said, you want to wear them in the desert? She goes, I want to break these things. I want in my shoes, I want to cut myself and twist my ankle, and if you watch after the horse scene, when they investigate the dead carnage, the carnage from what Danny did on the horse, mm-hmm. she rolls her ankle three times in that scene, and it, it really, I mean, and Dawn is always Dawn, but boy... She, I just, I loved her commitment to the role and, and giving, and I wish one day we have to show the outtakes of her because it was you get in the edit, Debbie, and it's like, what don't we use? I mean, it's all gold. She's my
0: favorite character in the film. Uh, I, I kid you not, but watching her and Kevin Joy go back and forth is hilarious. It is. Wait, so...
1: You mean there's an Ellis Island?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, but he is such a buffoon. Oh yeah. And not to give anything away, but the final scene of the film, and I'm thinking, nah. He is just such a pissed-off, lovelorn puppy dog who wants Natasha on a leash. Oh, yeah. That it's, it's like, no. The character we, we need more of is Dawn's character of Ask. Yeah. But then to do something with Ask and Ellis, because that dynamic is just off the charts
1: she never officially died i never said matthew lawrence was that good a shot no you know i mean i think i we always joked about it and and i would you know work with that those two and that entire cast a hundred times over and twice on sunday i mean they you know the ideas that came from that at that time that's literally what we started calling it like we should do a spinoff called just ask Ellen. yeah you
0: should (laughs) <laughs> With the two of them. Yeah. Because, okay. obviously, Ellis is still not going to win favor from his father. Never. So, he may need some more tutelage, or Dad's going to hire Ask to go after Ellis.
1: We, we always thought about the two of them getting married. <laughs>
0: well, actually, yeah.
1: <laughs> but she may be in a wheelchair, she could be in a, you know... After everything she went through, I mean, can you imagine the two of them stuck at the head having to go out and go after their next mission?
0: It would be a comedy of errors. That's
1: just it. That's exactly it.
0: I think that would be great. But, you know, you mentioned Dawn's shoes, which I just love that she's out there in high heels. This is akin to Bryce Dallas Howard wearing high heels in Jurassic World. You mentioned the shoes that Ask is wearing, but I have to say that whole outfit that Dawn is wearing from the wig... The blunt cut wig that looks very wendy.
1: wig. That's not a wig.
0: She bleached her hair out.
1: Dawn and not to cut you off, Debbie. dawn When I called her, I expected <sighs> her to look like the Don Ovieru, we all know. Yeah, just gotten married. She was living on a ranch in Oklahoma, and she was horsing, and she's just done a documentary in Saudi Arabia on on the treatment of Arabian horses. And I talked to her on the phone. And she said, hey, I need to let you know I've chopped my hair and it's platinum blonde. Are you okay with that? And I said, oh, my God, are you serious? And she goes, is that a problem? I said, no, I love it. I said, this is so different from anything you've done. I want you to look different. She said, let me take a quick selfie. She sent it to me. I said, oh, my God, don't touch a thing. I'll see you in a week.
0: The whole black and white, because that platinum is is like just this side of white. And it is so striking. And then with her all in black... But for she has like a tiger print blouse, silk blouse underneath the yep. black the black trench coat, but the right. black cigarette pants, just perfect, perfect Funny. look.
1: Credit Michelle McHale, our our uh, our costume designer for that. Michelle uh, read the script and said, "I know exactly what she's got to look like," and sent sent it to Dawn, because Don was in Oklahoma. You know, we were doing everything remotely and sent looks and, and Dawn just gobbled it up. She gobbled it up.
0: And of course the, the gloves too. Icing on the cake are the gloves. Um I love the gloves. that is a professional hit woman. You oh, yeah. don't leave fingerprints. Unlike Ellis, Never. who's like slobbering all over everything.
1: Oh, yeah. Absolutely.
0: I gotta ask you, Shane, how challenging or how much rehearsal time did you have? Especially with the equestrian and the archery.
1: Because
0: horses don't always want to cooperate.
1: you know, um, Artisher Radford, um, and I encourage everybody to look him up, he's like a, a mainstay in all of the new Star Wars films and series, Obi-Wan, uh, The Mandalorian, uh, all of them. Uh, Artisher is probably one of the best horse, Guys in Hollywood. In fact, the horse we used in Double Thread is, is uh, the horse that's going to be in Avatar two and three. Coming
0: oh, out. okay.
1: Uh, that's the hero horse, Danny. By trade, is a horse breaker. She she her passion is horses. There's nobody better on a horse. Um, every time I talk to Danny, she's training a horse, teaching a horse, having you know supper with a horse, mm-hmm. playing cards with a horse, and so they showed up that morning. Um, Danny just said, where are we shooting it? I said, over here. She said, okay, give me give me 20 minutes. And she went out, and she said, I'm ready when you guys are. That was it. That was it. They had That was it.
0: Wow. And the horse yeah. cooperated.
1: Horse was unbelievable. I'm blanking on the horse's name. I, I could tell you in two seconds, but it's Artisher's. Uh, you know, Artisher was Tommy Trojan at USC for many years.
0: Musketeers. That's right. My, my, my. A legend to live up to.
1: (laughs) Well, I think after Avatar comes out, I think he's going to be doing okay.
0: Probably. So I've got one last question for you, Shane. Every filmmaker learns something about themselves with every project they undertake. Or if they don't, they should learn something. What did you, filming this, Having to face, you know, the last minute changes, everything dealing with COVID, really pushing your creativity and the collaborative nature of the project under your lead. What did you learn about yourself as a director, as a filmmaker, doing double threat that you can now take forward or have taken forward with Night Train into future projects?
1: You know, that's a great question. And I always, you know, I always say that I learned something new every day on a set. The one thing, you know, my big takeaways on, on Double Thread were not about me, it was about reminding me of how wonderful human beings are. Um, we, we were making a film in, in a situation where a lot of people didn't want to be out of the house, they were scared for their well-being, and it reminded me of the loyalty of friends, the commitment true artists have to, to do everything they can to be great, um, it reminded me that kindness is king. We, we try to remember that, but it's easy to forget in our hustle and day-to-day. And what I learned was is, is that it reminded me how much each and every crew member, PA, sound, camera, actor means, and how important everybody is whether you're the star or the PA, the movie doesn't get done without you because when we did Double Threat, part of the Back to Work on, the, on at least the scale film we were doing, they mandated 20 people max on the set. like you, With your actors and COVID compliance officer, which can do nothing but, you can have 20 people a day on the set, that's wow. it. And it reminded me when everybody had the let's wear all the hats we can mentality, nobody had an ego, it was like when, when camera was ready, and they saw somebody else struggling in their department because they were understaffed. They dropped everything without being asked and ran over and helped them. I had more people reaching out, like I said, Mike Ryan and Jimmy Valdez, when they heard we lost nine locations. They, you know, our co producer Neil Chisholm called somebody he knew who had property and they just said, Guys, we'll leave a key for you. The place is yours. Do what you gotta do and and it just reminded me what a good world we are really living in. We hear about the bad it reminded me that that without good people, we can't we can't progress, we can't succeed. And it just I took that into Night Train and just embracing a crew and cast again and doing the next film of just coming off of, of double threat of, of, about just kindness is king. Let's get people that really are in it for the love. And, and, and boy, did it did it continue on tenfold in the next film?
0: Wow. So, how long before uh, we get to see Night Train?
1: Night Train just finished. Uh, It is done. It goes to QC Quality Control tomorrow. And um, we just had our launch at Cannes last week, and it went very well. And hopefully, we'll be able to announce some, uh, some things in the coming weeks. We have a lot of things to go through and a lot of things to consider on that one, and it's all good. So... Uh, we're real excited. Danielle C. Ryan stars in that as well. We have Diora Baird, who a lot of people you know, know her from Cobra Kai and Texas Chainsaw Massacre and, and uh, Wedding Crashers. Um, she was outstanding. Ivan Sergei, uh, Joseph B. Reitman, we, we, uh, Joe Lando. We've got a great cast, and I'm real excited about that. And that was just basically a, a roll into from Double Threat with, with a lot of the same cast and a lot of the same crew.
0: Well, I know I am definitely looking forward to that one. I mean,
1: to share it with everybody. You know,
0: we we don't see enough of Joe Lando except on Doctor Quinn reruns. So
1: I, I got to tell you, and I will tell you, in Night Train, Joe, Joe steals the show. This guy, you'll sure. see him like you've never seen him before. He he blew me away in Night Train. I'm so proud of him.
0: And the great thing is, everybody's just got to remember in marketing, you want to loop in those Dr. Quinn fans because they are still rabid.
1: They are unbelievably loyal. I've had the pleasure of working with James Seymour on a film some years ago. And I've known Joe. It's funny, my father and Joe have been friends for 35 years, and I got to know Joe really well coming up. And I just love working with him. He's such a professional and so low-key, so humble, so gracious. And he hasn't seen Night Train yet. He's real excited. I'm hoping he's going to come out to the house in a couple weeks and see it. I'm real proud of his work. I'm proud of all their work in it. But Joe, really, really, you're going to see him in a different light. And that's what I'm most excited about.
0: Well, I can't wait to see Night Train. And I I want a prequel, a sequel. I want an Ask Ellis film just ask ellis <laughs> just ask ellis i want I'm to see
1: th- coming just for you debbie i promise
0: i really want to see that
1: i do too because
0: they're so good together
1: when you hear what don area is up to and i'm not allowed to talk about it it's just going to be when is Don available okay That when you hear what's going on in her life right now you'll be like okay now i understand why why she's she's busy. <laughs> we all love the idea we do and, and I talk to Don regularly, and she's such a sweetheart, and I'm so proud of her. And she did have so much fun on Double Threat. And she does, I will go out on a limb and selfishly say she does say, what are we playing again? What are we doing this again? This is so much fun. She's really happy with Double Threat. And I'm like, you're the one who's too busy for me. Yes. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> then they have to make choices. She'll have they to do. make a choice. Does she want you or does she want another job?
1: Does she want me or does she want one of the biggest things on the planet right, right. now? Right. <laughs> and
0: wouldn't you be happy if she picked you? You
1: I'll tell you, she did pick me and she picked both. And dealing with the ADs and the schedulers of her other project, I I said, Don, this is the opportunity of a lifetime that every artist wishes they could have. And I am not going to soil this or compromise it for you in any way, shape or form. We're friends first. It's only a movie. We have a lifetime of these to do together. Run with this momentum. I'm grateful you did double threat with us. And you know what? I I make a film or two a year. You know, I'm going to reach out every time I do.
0: You can't ask for more than that.
1: No, no. And she's such a wonderful human being. She's the kind of person you want on a set. You know, that's the best part. hmm
0: well, Shane, this has been an absolute delight to get to talk with you.
1: Well, thank you, Debbie. It's It's been an absolute pleasure and an honor for me, too. And thank you for your, your kind words on the film and for actually watching it, which I know most reviewers don't do anymore, as we talked about. And um, it means a lot to me.
0: You keep making them, and I'll keep watching them, Shane.
1: Deal. Deal. And I will send them to you as soon as you'll have them.
0: I will have them as soon as you send them.
1: I, I have a whole bunch of stuff I'd love to send you that that's coming down the pike. I'd love you to take a look at first.
0: I would be happy to. Oh, my God. Shane, thank you, thank you, thank you.
1: Debbie, thank you. It was an absolute honor to do oh. your show, and I, I hope we get the chance to meet in person, and I mean that sincerely.
0: Oh, I hope so, too. You go have a great day and great rest of your week, Shane.
1: You, too. We'll talk soon.
0: Okay. Thanks. Bye-bye. And that is... All the time we have today, that was Shane Stanley talking about Double Threat. Double Threat is out on VOD on the digital platforms right now. You can see it whenever you want. And I encourage you to do so. Be on the lookout for Night Train later this year. But, you know, let me let me make mention to you, as you all know, I'm a member of Hollywood Critics Association in our mid-season. Film awards are coming up. Stay tuned. Check out my website, BehindTheLensOnline.net, on July 1st, because our nominations for our mid-season uh, film awards will be coming out on the 1st, and I will be having all that on my site for all of you to see who we are looking at for award winners midway through the year. Uh, I don't know what my colleagues... Uh, have submitted for potential nominees. I know what I, those I have submitted. Uh, and generally, I go with the small indies, uh, as everybody knows. But uh, some really great performances in the first half of the year. Disappointingly, and uh, we're not awarding uh, documentaries uh, in the midseason this year. Hopefully, we'll be doing that next year. Because, as you guys know from listening to the show, there have been some great documentaries that have come out the first half of this year. And a lot of those filmmakers we've had right here on Behind the Lens. So, you know, don't forget, you can hear every single episode of Behind the Lens going back to day one on BehindTheLensOnline.net. We're on all of the usual suspect podcast platforms as well as an archive, a limited archive on the AdrenalineRadio.com website. So you can catch Behind the Lens anytime, anywhere. So, oh, and very quickly, I must congratulate my friend George Pinocchio on picking up some awards this weekend from L.A. Press Club. Most notably for the story that he did on Betty White's passing. Congratulations, George. So, as I said, July 4th is next week. We'll be out celebrating with hamburgers, hot dogs, fireworks. Pam will be enjoying her her day off. And we'll be back on July 11th with a jam-packed show. We've got two guests on. uh, Very, very excited Then I'm going to have Dan Copland here talking about his new film, Eight Winds. So, until July 11th, I'm Debbie Elias. This is Behind the Lens.